you finally get to that point where your body does not tolerate any extra copper that's on board. And so symptoms start to occur and women don't know why this is happening. What's going on with me? I've never been this anxious. I've never had panic that came out of nowhere for no reason. I'm starting to feel depressed. It happens with the estrogen dominant female. You're listening to Eat for Life, the show that aims to help you identify the root causes of what ails you so you can heal and live the life you are meant for. I'm your host, Sammy G. High anxiety, depression, brain fog, chronic fatigue, insomnia, PMS. If you've struggled with any of these health challenges, you're not alone. It is estimated that over 50% of females are estrogen dominant and one in eight will develop breast cancer. These are staggering statistics, but there is another insidious invader of our bodies, often genetic, that most women and doctors are completely unaware of. It's called copper toxicity, and as you'll soon learn, a condition that wreaks havoc on both the mind and body. In today's special women's health episode, my personal physician, Dr. Judith Bowman, and I talk about the ins and outs of this most volatile metal. I was born with this condition and struggled terribly for most of my life with severe depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation, until I met Dr. Bowman and I began my path towards healing many years ago. Dr. Judith Bowman co-founded Mensa Medical in 2008 with her colleague, Dr. Albert Mensa. Dr. Bowman combines traditional medicine with a biochemical approach to treating behavioral and cognitive disorders, autism spectrum disorder, depression, including postpartum depression and women's health, anxiety, eating disorders, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and other biochemical imbalances. Dr. Bowman has treated over 30,000 patients using all-natural, non-pharmaceutical, targeted nutrient therapy, trains physicians in advanced nutrient therapy techniques, and facilitates outreach clinics all over the United States. Dr. Bowman received her medical degree from Finch University of Health Sciences, Chicago Medical School, and received her certification and license by the American Registry of Radiologic Technology and Board Certification in Nuclear Medicine Technology following the completion of her training at Northwestern University's School of Nuclear Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Bowman. I am so excited to have you on the show, especially to talk about a condition that impacts so many women and one that has caused me great heartache. Dr. Bowman, what is copper overload, also called toxicity, and how is it different than Wilson's disease? Well, when you're talking about Wilson's disease, which is commonly known in mainstream medicine, you're talking about an overload of copper, me literally that, um, but it usually finds itself harboring itself in the organs of many organs, in fact, um, and it just stays there. You can't get it out of the system. However, Mm. when you check that, when you're checking for the uh, serum copper level, there's very, very little there, as well as there's a very small amount of the protein that actually binds copper. So it just hides in things like the liver or the spleen and in the brain. Little different than if you have copper toxicity. If you have Mm. copper toxicity, what you're going to see is a high serum copper, very high, and perhaps even what they call percent free copper. They're free radical, not bound to its protein. So that's a little different. Yes, Both are problematic, 
Both are very problematic and can do what I would call brain short-circuiting. So you don't think too well in that Mm. case. Yes. Thank you for breaking that down. I think there's a lot of um, misunderstanding and just confusion. I, I know you get these questions a lot, as do I, with our within our patient population. Well, my gosh, now does this mean I have Wilson's disease? And, and we want to make sure that people understand that they are very different. And you've explained that beautifully. So I really appreciate that. Dr. Bowman, copper and estrogen share an intimate relationship with one another, and you are also um, uh, an expert in women's health. Can you explain this relationship and why females are so impacted by this condition? Well, this is near and dear to my heart. I love to explain this because so many women cannot connect the dots between estrogen, copper, how they're feeling, whether they're anxious, depressed, panic disorder, anxiety, all can come from what you call the estrogen dominant female who happens to bring in a lot of copper into her system. Um, It's not, I have to say this, it's not every single female on the planet. To kind of show you how the snowball rolls down the hill, how this works, the estrogen dominant female, a lot of estrogen on board, estrogen and copper and the relationship between the two are really this. Estrogen rises. Let's just talk about the menstrual cycle in general. Every month, there's what's called a estrogen surge. As estrogen rises, this natural physiologic response for copper to come running into the system for the purpose of what you might ask. Why, why, why is that possible? What is that all about? Well, as estrogen rises and copper comes into the system, it comes in for the purpose of really helping you to develop blood vessels. Every month, that uterine lining fills up and gets a little puffy with extra blood vessels for the purpose of, hey, if there's a fertilization that month, there's a nice little cushion and a well-vascularized tissue so that little uh, cell can kind of embed and grow and eventually turn into a baby. Well, that's a beautiful thing. However, if there is no fertilization, the sloughing off of the uterine lining, which is called, well, menstrual flow. And that's how that happens. What's interesting is that every single month that happens for the estrogen dominant female, her copper level tends to go up a little higher with every menstrual cycle. It's just a little bit, but over time, as estrogen rises with every single cycle and more copper comes in, different things start to happen. She might notice things like heavier menstrual cycles because she has more blood vessels being developed there. And if she has this tendency to have things like oh, endometriosis and heavy menstrual cycles and fibroid tumors, you get a lot of vascularization and really heavy bleeding that can lead to things like not just anxiety and panic from the copper coming in, but anemia. And there's so many women out there that really don't know that particular connection. So here's the deal. Estrogen comes in, copper levels drive up, more blood vessels get developed, heavy menstrual bleeding occurs. And over the years, and I have to say years because that's what it is, over years, you finally get to that point where your body does not tolerate any extra 
copper that's on board. And so symptoms start to occur and women don't know why this is happening. What's going on with me? I've never been this anxious. I've never had panic that came out of nowhere for no reason. I'm starting to feel depressed. It happens with the estrogen dominant female. It does. And it's not every female Mm -hmm. to make a, um, Oh, dig salt into a wound. If you happen to choose to do things like go on birth control pill, estrogen based, or mm. even if over a lifetime you were estrogen dominant and now you're in menopause and now you're wondering about whether or not hormone replacement is a good idea to add estrogen to that estrogen dominant female who has difficulty bringing copper levels down to the normal level, there's going to be issues. <laughs> They are going to be issues. And it's a a wide range of issues, as a matter of fact. Level of severity is is interesting. Some can tolerate it and some simply cannot. Yes, that's that's beautifully said. Thank you. And that, you know, when you're speaking, Dr. Bowman, it makes me think of all of our patients, our female patients that are so intolerant Mm -hmm. to birth control and the copper IUD, you know, doctors often prescribe that as a healthy, you know, quote, healthy alternative to the Mm -hmm. pill. But actually, it's not. And it's heartbreaking. I wrote a blog post on this several years ago. And it's one of the top posts that I have with so many, I think last count, uh, uh, you know, 300 comments or so women sharing their stories, their horror right. stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I call the IUD kind of like a medieval torture device. It's just creates so many issues. So I really appreciate you speaking into this mm-hmm. and explaining what's going on, because I think that there's, as you know, there's a lot of misconceptions out there. There's a lot of just bad information. It's true. It's heartbreaking to see because by the time they come to see you, by the time they come to see me and I'm mm-hmm. you know, cleaning up their diet and so forth, it's at that point where they literally can't really function very well. This is very uh, true. Dr. Bowman, we hear these heartbreaking stories about women drowning their children who have mm-hmm. been suffering from, you know, severe postpartum depression, which we know is from copper mm-hmm. uh, and psychosis. And that's what that makes me think of, that relationship that you uh, explained between copper and these types of symptoms. Now, when it's that severe, are we are we seeing a situation in which you know, I'm thinking of one woman in particular. I, I don't want to name her. I want to be respectful. But uh, she had three children, mm-hmm. and they they all three died. Sadly, I think it was. Excuse me. I think three or four children. But what what's the severity in this type of case? You know, I'm really glad you brought that up because a lot of women don't know that connection. But I have failed to see yet um, any of those horrible cases without really high copper levels in that female. I mentioned every menstrual cycle, but with every single child for the estrogen dominant female, copper goes up just an astounding exponential Mm -hmm. kind of way. And the deal is, okay, when you are pregnant, because the baby is using that copper to develop develop blood vessels. I mean, obviously, no baby, no blood vessels, no baby. That's just how that goes. But by the time that kid is born, when copper levels are supposed to be normalizing back to what's a baseline, and that does not happen in the estrogen dominant female, her copper levels are sky high. She doesn't Mm -hmm. quite understand why she's not processing information right. It starts with what you've heard of already is the baby blues. However, the baby blues can be so severe, it can be toted as major depression 
And when it's super severe, it's called postpartum psychosis. So let's Mm -hmm. talk something that's really simple here. Mm -hmm. Your brain is an electrical chemical organ. Where is copper very useful? For electronic units of whatever you have, you almost have a copper wire attached to any and everything that's going to conduct electricity. So in your brain, which is simply an electrical chemical organ, now you've got tons and tons of total copper, free copper kind of swirling around up there, doing nothing more than short circuiting processes. Of course, she can't think. Of course, she has anxiety. She's got panic that's going all over the place. She can't figure it out. Or she's got some major depression. And with that, along with anxiety and impulsivity, she'd just as soon shoot the husband, drown the kids, Mm -hmm. drive the car into the pond, or into yeah. the White House, for that matter. I've heard stories <laughs> like that. With yes. name. She mm. simply cannot process information. Plus, she feels the worst of the worst. And so that's where that really comes from. I've yet to see one of those that didn't have a copper so high. I don't know how anyone can function, you know, with anything going on like that. Thank you for, for speaking into that, Dr. Bowman. I, I remember one outreach that we did. This was several years ago uh, in mm-hmm. California where I'm living, and we had a patient show up. She kept picking at her arm. She said, I'm on fire. I feel like mm-hmm. I'm on fire. And she was so incoherent. It was heartbreaking. But yeah. the, it was that electrical current that you mm-hmm. speak of. You can exactly. literally feel it coursing in your body when yes, levels you can. are severely elevated. So, you know, I say this because, and you and I both know, Dr. Bowman, it's so important that we have grace for people. And unfortunately, in our kind of conventional medical space, these types of females are often dismissed. And they're told, oh, you're fine, your levels are fine, Um, nothing wrong, it's all in your head. I'm so glad that we're having this really, really important conversation because we want people to understand this is what's happening in postpartum depression and psychosis. And then also, you know, the paranoia and also paranoid schizophrenia. That's that's also a part of copper as well, isn't it? It is indeed. It can be a component of it. It doesn't make it easier at all. And this is males or females. Anybody with copper levels that exceed what would be considered a normal value is bound to have some issues. So whether they uh, present with impulsivity, which happens a lot, and whether it's a uh, impulsivity or a panic or even anxiety, or perhaps there's fibromyalgia-like symptomatology where you you do have nerves connected to other places than just a brain kind of thing. They're connected to every single joint, every single muscle. And if it's a bombardment, a constant bombardment with an electric sort of a charge, anything that would be a little ache becomes a big pain. It really does. Mm -hmm. And brain inflammation is included in that. So yeah, it reaches much further than only uh, women, you know, women's health. It makes me think of our autistic patients. Uh, You mentioned men. uh, Dr. Mensa and I recently did an episode where we talked about criminal behavior and copper, especially in men. So Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate you speaking into 
uh, that this does impact both sexes. It impacts uh, in, in, in impacts each of us differently, of course, but it does, and it is a huge component in hyperactivity in children, and also, you know, again, autistic children. With that being said, uh, Dr. Bowman, I'm really curious. I kind of wanted to circle back a little bit. You spoke about the menstrual cycle, also things like PCOS. Uh, you yeah. mentioned endometriosis, PMS, PMDD. We tend to see a lot of females with PCOS that also have copper overload as well. Is, is that correct, Dr. Bowman? This is true. Most anything that kind of relates to the hormonal cycles that involve either progesterone or estrogen, you may see some really dysregulation in, in a big kind of way between copper. Let me just mention one little thing, though. The snowball rolling down the hill. When copper is dysregulated, meaning it has a tendency, tendency to be hypersensory copper or a total copper, what happens is there's this fine relationship between copper and zinc, and that plays mm -hmm. a huge role. So as nice. copper rises, zinc is suppressed. Well, why is that important? Well, once zinc is suppressed, this is where neurotransmitters become dysregulated. You cannot produce neurotransmitters. So serotonin, your overall sense of well-being, going to be a problem if you don't have enough of that on board. Or things like GABA, gamma amino butyric acid. It's a calming neurotransmitter. If you don't have enough zinc on board that's been suppressed by the copper being elevated, that means you can't calm yourself in a timely manner. And um, the other one, dopamine. Dopamine, mm. oh, I won the lottery. I'm feeling wonderful. Life is good. <laughs> and not produce that one. That's going to be an issue as well. So you don't really have any, what I call it, a chemical fortitude to mm. manage your feelings. And there's one more problem. Dopamine, very important neurotransmitter, particularly in women's health as well. Yes. But for the high copper female, copper in the presence of dopamine, guess what? It gets converted almost immediately into adrenaline. And mm. so now she's feeling fright or flight. This is not just for females. Anyone with a high copper level, and the formula in most medical school books, if anyone cares to look, copper in the presence of dopamine gets converted to adrenaline. Now we have a fright or flight issue in an anxiety sort of provoking state. Mm. And so that brings on a lot of impulsivity. And the other thing that kind of goes along with that, for the moms who are high copper that have sons that tend to be high copper, yes. now you're looking at a child who may in fact be labeled as one of the ADHD kids or tends to be the more impulsive variety. So um, it can be a genetic predisposition. It tends to follow a female line. So great-grandma, grandma, mom, the daughter, um, it tends to be straight down that female line. But if a mom happens to pass this trait to the son, he tends to be the impulsive variety, which is interesting. Um, yeah. A lot of kids with autism, of course, they have what you call mineral metabolism disorder. So it's not just copper. But copper is a huge red flag that says that this is an issue. Do you ever wonder what's going on inside your body? What's happening to make you feel cranky, anxious, depressed, or lethargic? What chemicals might be aggravating your ADHD, OCD, or disordered eating? I'd love to help you get a head start on identifying and addressing the underlying condition that's leading you to feel less than your best. 
Get started by taking my free life assessment. It takes five minutes or less, and it's a great place to begin understanding what your unique biochemistry might be. After you take my assessment, check out the corresponding cookbook I've created. Match your unique biotype to its cookbook with 25 recipes, including breakfast, lunch, dinner, appetizers, and desserts. You'll find a cookbook for each of the unique biotypes I work with. Zinc deficiency, copper overload, over and under methylation, and pyrrole disorder. You'll also find a meal planner to make this process easy and enjoyable. My recipes are free of grains, gluten, dairy, with the exception of ghee, which can be substituted, refined sugar, nuts, and soy. Remember, to get started, go to eat4.life and click the free assessment tab at the top to start your healing journey today. As you know, being my my doctor as well, uh, copper runs in my family, definitely on my mom's side. It's amazing, you know, kind of back to the symptoms that we see in a lot of our patients, such a wide range of symptoms. True. It's not just... You know, you mentioned the high anxiety, the panic disorder, the depression, of course, and then we talked about the menstrual uh, irregularities, but, mm-hmm. you know, blood sugar, yeast overgrowth, you know, a lot of our, our patients have uh, recurring yeast infections, insomnia, ringing in the ears, headaches, rashes, premature gray hair, which, you know, there's that copper zinc connection there as well, the inability to ward off infection. It's, it's amazing. You know, again, I just want to drive home to our listeners how much is connected, not just cognitively and what's going on in the brain, but also physically. You know, I mentioned, you know, that patient that we had that just kept, I'll never forget her just grabbing her arm. She was crying, so upset, very disoriented. Mm -hmm. And I could almost feel the electricity emanating off of her. It was really that intense. Dr. Bowman, since we're talking about estrogen dominance and copper and females, what is the relationship here with breast cancer? Okay, that's an interesting um, observation because there is one. Think about the fact that copper really supports the development of blood vessels. So let's put it like this. If you've got a tumor, it has to grow. It's trying to thrive and survive. It will need all the blood vessels that it can gather in order to grow. And simply the fact that there's high copper levels, male or female, if it's around, it's going to support the development of blood vessels and support the growth of tumors, which is a problem, huge problem. The once upon a time, um, there's a product called tetrathiomolybdenate molybdenum, which is actually the metal that tends to gather up or sequester high uh, free radicals of copper. People who are very low in that element, they tend to have higher copper levels. But uh, the idea of supporting tumor growth is unacceptable. And so what, it's, what had been done, they would take that particular uh, drug, which it's, it's really a drug in actuality connected to a molybdenum base there, it actually goes and tries to find free copper to get it out of the way and make it very, very low so that you don't have this uh, tendency to support tumor growth because you have blood vessels to do so. Now, for us, what we look at is this combination of um, undermethylation and high copper status. You don't particularly like that combination. And there's a lot of talk these days about methylation and what that means. Yes. Um, and you know, a lot of this actually started with cancer research. There was an assumption that 
um, it seemed as if everyone who was that, that had a cancer, it was a study that was done, they tended to be more undermethylated folks than overmethylated folks. And so this idea of methylation brought to mind, well, let's provide some things, maybe food and diet. Actually, that was done. And they found out the opposite things started to happen. Um, tumors start to grow, malignancies were happening a little bit faster than what they anticipated. And this had a lot to do with tumor growth. What was provoking that? Well, it kind of turned out that if you ate certain foods, that could be a problem. If they were high copper foods, that could be an issue. If they were foods that were really heavy in folic acid, Yes, that was an issue. So there was this connection that was beginning to uh, come about between folic acid, high copper foods, and tumor growth. Believe it or not, and so there's another area where copper has its, um, I guess, its a advantage and disadvantage at the same time. The fact is, if you're eating really super high copper foods on a really high copper diet, and you are a undermethylated person that would actually put you more at risk for further development of tumors. So as you would know, diet also plays into this in a huge kind of way. And let me let me go back a little bit because I probably skipped a step. For those folks that don't really quite understand this whole methylation deal, methyl groups, one of the tiniest little molecules you could find, a carbon with three, maybe four hydrogens on it, it acts as a key. It turns on or turns off appropriately enzymes, hormones, okay, proteins and neurotransmitters to do their job or turn them off based on a feedback mechanism. So if you don't have enough methyl groups to do that, there's certain things your body just cannot do in a, in a manageable kind of way. So now if you are undermethylated, and let me say something good about the undermethylated people. These are the folks with the strong drive. They dot the I's and cross the T's. Yes. Organizers of the world. They have (laughs) their plan. Don't mess up their game plan. They're very (laughs) regimented and we're going to move forward. And here's the plan and let's go with it. That's a wonderful trait. These are beautiful things about the undermethylated person. It also puts them in the highest group for anxiety and panic. And depression because the world is not perfect and they're going to make it perfect by golly, no matter what. Okay. <laughs> yes. However, <laughs> well you said. Yeah. <laughs> By the time you get that though, and you also have high copper, it's like, ooh, now we're kind of creating a higher little risk group here for problems that can develop. You know, so that's where that connection is. You know, Uh, you mentioned one other thing, the whole immune system scenario, which is so important right now with coronavirus and everything else. Since high copper levels suppress zinc levels and zinc is what? Very important for immune system health. Mm -hmm. Your system cannot function without it. So that's the other connection. So mm. I guess you could say everything's kind of related. 
Thank you. Thank you for beautifully speaking into that. There's a lot of spinning go around, going around, a lot of false yeah. narratives going around with clinical sounding jargon made to sound great, usually to sell mm -hmm. products. It's creating more confusion, more anxiety, more depression in people. Uh, you know, they get so confused. Well, I don't know. I'm being told or I'm reading this. This practitioner says there's no such thing as over and under methylation. Mm -hmm. Folic acid is bad. It's synthetic. I need to take methylation. You know, all of those things, which Dr. Mensa and I have talked about in, in our previous podcast, but mm -hmm. it's amazing to me. And again, you spoke so beautifully into diet, Dr. Bowman. I come from copper toxicity and under methylation that also runs in my family. And when I say a low folate diet, mm -hmm. people go, what are you talking about? That's of crazy. Course. Of course. Uh, you know why, why do I need to do that? <laughs> let me remind some folks, and I know people have heard this before, but I'm going to tell you why this whole folate thing is really that kind of important. I like to kind of paint a movie. Back in medical school, I would try to paint a movie to get the pictorial idea of what was going on. So let's just say you have a cell. There's the cell and there's the nucleus, okay? Two parts of the cell, the cytoplasm and the nucleus right in the middle. Most people understand that. Well, let's take... Let's use methylfolate, since that's the talk of the day, the methylfolate molecule. Let's say it wants to enter that cell. Let it go in. It's looking around for something to methylate. We know, and I can never deny, that methylfolate is not a methylator. It is. But where and what is it doing? So it enters the cell methylfolate. Let's just say it's a two-part molecule. So the methyl part says, I'm in. I need to methylate an enzyme, a hormone, a neurotransmitter, some other protein so that it can do its job. Now you have to ask yourself, what does the folate part do? It's yes. out there. It has a job. Well, it dives into the nucleus and it looks at the DNA. It is waiting for the DNA to line up in a little row when it's time to duplicate into another cell. When it does that, it influences methylation of the actual DNA itself. Mm. Instead of methylating and helping the DNA to be methylated, it pulls off the methyl groups. So now you have different proteins that if there's too much of the pulling off, of methyl groups, you're changing the actual codes of the DNA from what was the base molecule, your original blueprint, and you're changing the blueprint to build a different house. If there's too much demethylating, secondary to the folic acid or folate being there, we get aberrant proteins, different signals. Sometimes that is just not a good thing to change your original blueprint. Because you may be supporting something you really don't want to support. So what I'm saying is folic acid and folate can act as a double agent. So what we need to do, yes, you need some folate. You won't live without it, but you don't need an overkill. Too much of it can be harmful. And this is all about balance. Yes. So that's what we try to figure out in this medical. You know, who mm -hmm. needs what and how much? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, indeed. I, I really appreciate you breaking that down because what we often see are undermethylators doing well on methylated folate for what, about two or three months, and then they two have a huge months. crash. Exactly. Yeah. Because what <laughs> is, the DNA has caught up with them. Yes, you know, this yes. New, these new proteins and a change in the blueprint has happened, and eventually it catches up with you. That's the problem. You'll be okay for a while, you know, but then no. Mm-hmm. Then the huge crash and everything starts, you know, kind of falling apart, so to speak. Yeah, you laid that out beautifully. And, you know, also the the copper conversation about high copper foods. I'm not sure where all of these things come from, but some of them we know the origin of the myth. You know, we hear organic copper found in food that is bound to a protein and other food molecules is safe, whereas... I should just only stay away from copper supplements. And, and you know, we know that high copper foods are problematic. We see across the board clinically mm-hmm. people being very reactive to things like chocolate and nuts and seeds that are mm-hmm. some of our highest copper foods. Regarding testing, I mean, here's another myth that we get all the time, but there's this been this rumor going around for a long time that hair tissue mineral analysis is the best method to determine copper levels. Dr. Bowman, why is this so inaccurate? I'm having a hard time with that one. Um, it's it's an assumption. Uh, I don't know where it came from, first of all. But the deal is this. A hair analysis by itself is a half analysis. It's a half analysis. Every single thing on a hair analysis test has its own individual story as to what the heck is happening. And a lot of times people will see, oh, look, there's high copper. It looks like there's high copper. But you know what that actually means? It means that that person is a high copper excreter. Good for you in actuality. It doesn't mean that there's so much in there. It means that they're a really active copper excreter. What you have to do is a comparative. You look at both the blood and the hair. Your hair is actually a waste product. It is a very useful waste product for sometimes getting rid of heavy metals, for essential metals that need to be balanced. Um, A lot of times um, you can look at a zinc level. If the zinc level is very, very low, in the hair, let's say, that doesn't mean, oh, you don't have any necessarily. It doesn't, you know, but if you see it very high in the hair, as opposed to looking, say, copper being high in the hair, that's called zinc wasting. It means you're not using it. So you really have to look at both the blood work as well as the hair to figure out what the person is doing and how they're metabolizing those particular essential and heavy metals. So a hair analysis by itself is really a half analysis. It's not the full story. And unless you know or have someone who really knows how to read that, you could be in serious trouble trying to fix it. In fact, you'll probably do just the opposite of what it is you really need to do, which is a problem. We have had patients um, who decided that they were very low in copper to actually take copper supplementations. And I honestly uh, Uh. remember at least five cases that ended up in the emergency room. One was at least... Um, admitted to the psych ward because of copper toxicity, trying to fix a copper problem that was not a problem at all. 
Uh, I'm so glad you brought this up because mm -hmm. this was something that uh, another myth I wanted to bring up with you. So this is a great, you know, segue into this concept of mm -hmm. uh, excess and at the same time deficiency and mm -hmm. that people just need supposedly a quote special form of copper. Again, people are following this guidance by lay people that are selling mm -hmm. products. And like you said, they're ending up in the hospital. They're ending up severely damaged and right. we don't know if that's permanent or not but this is this is the level this is life and death folks this yeah. is the level that we're talking about here with a lot of these myths that are going on and it, what is is it about three decades of research uh, that we yeah with, more. With, yeah with yourself dr mensa dr walsh yeah. the late great carl pfeiffer mm -hmm. uh you know and then also the just the clinical application the years of clinical application and the massive database truthfully uh, it's a matter really sammy it's about who you are and how you metabolize like i yes. said it's not every woman on the planet is not every person on the planet that has um one particular uh, style of metabolizing copper and zinc Unless you know what your biochemistry is and what it's doing for you and how you metabolize, you can't play one size fits all. You can't. Most of the products that are there are fairly one size fits all. Here's our recommended uh, amount that we think you should do. But your body says, no, I don't metabolize that too well. You know, a lot of people run into difficulties because they don't know their own personal chemistry, which is what we do. So. Yes, yes. And you do so wonderfully. And, you know, again, another another pearl from you out of this conversation is and, and the take home for our listeners is we are all biochemically unique. True. There is no one else like you on the planet. Mm -hmm. And we can have two female patients, same age, same mm -hmm. height, same weight, same chemistry and respond very differently. Very differently. Uh, very, very differently and have completely different symptoms, even with the same chemistry. I mean, that's, that's the level of skill that is required for this. And I think it's important that people hear this because these rumors are really hurting people. The methylated folate rumor, uh, the false myth that folic acid is synthetic and therefore bad when we know that it works in our overmethylated population you know and it works very well and we just it's really important to be mindful of of the consequences of a lot of these myths you know dr bowman another one that i hear all the time and I, and i know you hear this too is that you know i really shouldn't be taking vitamin c and i really shouldn't be taking calcium because those are problematic for for copper toxicity and copper overload and um you know we know that certain nutrients are key, especially certain antioxidants are key. And again, mm -hmm. in the right dose for that individual. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Vitamin C particularly is very important to reduce copper levels. It's in that yes. formulation. Things like vitamin C, um, molybdenum needs to be on board. All your antioxidants that are working to reduce uh, free radicals and free radical damage. And let me just bring up one other thing. We test something called total copper we also test this percent-free copper. Um, yes. Even if your total copper is um, very high, but your percent-free copper, the free radical, is very low, the problem is bound copper can become unbound, which is why we still treat it regardless. Um, yes. We do like to keep copper bound to its protein. And I don't know if who, who has heard me speak, but I, I often talk about 
the idea or the picture picture of the little children on the school bus and the um, uh, school bus itself. Okay, so if you look at it like there's school buses out there that can kind of represent ceruloplasmin, that is the protein that keeps and binds copper and keeps it out of trouble. But you have to have enough of them. And that's actually a protein. So if you are, are nutritionally sound, you're probably going to make, hopefully, enough protein or enough ceruloplasm such that when copper comes into your system by way of your diet or supplements or however you're taking it, um, there's enough school buses for the children to get on. I don't know if that picture helps you, but what happens if you don't have enough school buses? The kids, they have to walk to school. Some of them are going to get in trouble. They're going to throw rocks. They're going to have gang members. They're going to do all kinds of havoc that takes place. And so from the the aspect of um, having enough of the ceruloplasmin protein around, you know, that would probably keep you out of trouble. But the minute that you have a challenge, perhaps there's an illness that perhaps you're not eating well, something's gone wrong. Um, If you don't have enough of those school buses, you may incur some issues that are anything like anxiety or panic or some distress or even heavier menstrual cycles and problems like that. So that's just another thing to mention. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. That's a great analogy. It, it makes me think about my own chemistry. And as you know, I've had this historically low ceruloplasmin and, we, yes. you know, we've worked <laughs> on that. And, you know, of course, my diet and, and all of that. And then, you know, of course, lifestyle is, course. is also uh, helpful stress levels and things like that. You know, I, I think about myself and then, of course, our patients that just kind of historically have this lowered ceruloplasmin and the importance of looking at that. Yet another reason, Dr. Bowman, that hair tissue mineral analysis is looking at that alone is quite flawed because as you, yeah, as as you shared, we need to be looking at at copper and zinc. We need to be looking at free copper, unbound copper, serum copper, our total Mm -hmm. copper. Please don't try and do this on your own. We, uh, we, We see people supplementing with zinc and maybe too high a dose or the wrong form, not knowing their levels and having massive detox reactions. So please don't try this on your own. And that's, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons why I was so excited to, to, to have this, this time with you, because I knew that you would explain it in such a way that makes sense. Uh, Dr. Bowman, I have one more myth. And I think this one has died down. For the longest time, I kept hearing and also reading articles online that somehow made this connection between copper and methylation. And that mm-hmm. High copper individuals are overmethylated and undermethylated individuals are somehow low in copper. And we know that's not true. We see different chemistries all over the place. But I was wondering if you, what your thoughts were on that, if you wouldn't mind speaking into that just for a little bit. For me, two separate ideologies, two different things altogether. It's like a house has many parts. There's the furnace, there's the air conditioner. They are not the same. Uh, They may flow through the same system, but they are different entities. They really are. The roof is different than the basement. And so they are different parts of a house, but they, um, the connection is very weak relative to um, overmethylators or this and relative to copper and, and undermethylators or that. No, two different things altogether, two different tests altogether. They really are. They have nothing uh, to kind of segue into each other relative to any kind of physiology. 
No, not at all. But I will tell you this, you know, I often try to connect everything. And I guess in a sense, everything must have a connection, but it can be very strong or very weak. The other thing about uh, copper, though, that may create some vacillation in what your numbers look like in terms of your ceruloplasm, in terms of your copper levels, is there's also fluctuation of weight. And I don't know if people quite kind of understand that one either. As your weight goes up, as your fat content goes up, that's really what I should say. There's something called a peripheral conversion of fat into estrogen. In mm, the yes. Which means that now there's more estrogen on board because we're a little bit heavier or there's a fat component to our cells that is increasing. That's going to increase your copper levels. It really is. So whether you're male or female, don't forget that one. Um, what you weigh, your lean body content, your fat content is also going to matter. I just want to kind of bring that up as well. Oh, I'm so glad you did. I mean, this is another great pearl, not only for patients or potential patients, but also clinicians to understand how these things operate. You know, generally in our, and, and we're, if we're just talking about undermethylation, generally our undermethylators are more on the, the leaner side. To be. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but if you have, uh, you know, as I have, uh, as I was born with both undermethylation and copper overload, yay! Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you're a female and you have that that copper estrogen component, that can get thrown out the window. Generally, our patients have more than one type of chemistry, whether it's pyrrole disorder, undermethylation, and copper in the same person, or a combination of zinc deficiency and overmethylation. It's across the board. And that was another reason why this question about copper and methylation I felt was really important. We, again, want people to understand this is why testing is important. This is why working with a qualified doctor, qualified practitioner is so important. Thank you so much for for being here and for your time and and your wisdom and your knowledge. We are just so blessed uh, to have you, Dr. Bowman. Well, I'm honored by the invitation. We are blessed to have you as well. I loved how Dr. Bowman explained the intricacies of copper toxicity and how this condition affects the brain and the body. If you struggle with any of the symptoms we talked about, testing and evaluation is a great place to start. I encourage you to know that copper toxicity can safely be healed with dietary and nutrient therapy, therapies that literally saved my life. You can find Dr. Bowman at mensamedical.com. Don't miss an episode of Eat for Life. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast player.